Welcome to Our Kids, Our Schools, your compass in the world of local education hosted by Alexis Morgan, an experienced guide and advocate. This space offers insights designed to serve parents, teachers, administrators, school board members, and community stakeholders. Every episode is designed to equip you with the knowledge and tools to be an active participant. This podcast isn't just a dialogue. It's a movement, a movement that encourages collaboration to foster a thriving school community because together we can, we will make a difference. Hey friends, welcome to the podcast today. It is a gorgeous fall day outside and I love a gorgeous fall day and I love the leaves as they change colors. This might be my favorite time of year, but also I recorded my home and I live in a neighborhood where there's a lot of trees and leaves fall. And just in case you hear like a humming, I don't know that you will, but if you hear a humming in the background, it is one of my neighbors with their leaf blowers outside blowing the leaves away from their driveway. It's just a little bit of a heads up for you. Okay. So I read something once in it was in a book about reading research, and it shared that the best types of research articles are ones in which the author writes like it's a conversation. And I've kind of used that idea in terms of any kind of writing that I'm reading, like so even in a book where the author is giving some type of informational text, like it's an informational text. And when I think about some of my favorite books, I think about the ones that feel like a conversation. And I bring this in because half or like a big part of this podcast platform that I'm offering is just me talking and it's just me talking to you. And so what I'm hoping is that it feels like a conversation. I'll ask questions for me, for you. And I'm hoping that while you're listening if you're up for it, you, in whatever way that you want, you figure out how to contribute to the conversation where if it's like, you're just talking back to me and you're like, Alexis, you're not listening to me. Um, or you get on social media or you will send me a message, uh, through my website. I really want you to participate in the conversation. And I hope that this feels like a conversation. That's basically what I'm telling you. So the thing that we're talking about today are school board elections because they're coming up. It's October, November is just right around the corner. And in November, that's when we have our like big elections is in this fall time. Now, school board elections can be at other times of the year, but here in Idaho, they've moved all those elections, electing school board members particularly to the fall time. So that's in a couple of weeks. And I just felt like it would be really great to have a conversation about why your vote matters and how to choose a good person to sit in that school board seat. So the first thing is that in the United States, I'm going to give a little bit of a background here in the United States. It, for whatever reason, we have developed this cultural component to voting where it doesn't feel like your vote matters. I hear that a lot from people, particularly when it comes to the national election. What I'm here to tell you is that your vote matters in your local election and in your state election. If at any point you're going to feel like your vote matters, it's in your local election. Did you know that my recent local levy which was in May, they did one in May here for my local school district. It's the largest district in the state of Idaho. 
the majority group that determined the election results were 67-year-old white males. And it was for a school levy. Basically, what I'm saying here is that the community voted no, which was disappointing, I'm going to say, because it's just less funding for our schools. But the people who turned out to vote, the majority of people who turned out to vote were 67-year-old white males, not parents, and particularly not mothers. And this is something that I feel like I want to try to change in whatever way that I can, that in this system of voting and public policy that is made, particularly mothers are often told through policy, through messages that they don't matter as much. So when you look at the 67 year old male, he is told that he is part of the advantaged group, that elderly people are very advantaged in the United States, that there's a particular component when looking at social construction and public policy and voting patterns. And that is something that is within that messaging, in the underlying assumptions of what is happening within the messages that are being sent out. I remember being a teenager and being 18, and I was 18 a majority of my senior year, and I remember being excited for the opportunity to vote. But what was interesting was when they told us like, yeah, you can vote and your vote really matters. More often than not, they're talking about the national election. And frequently people don't feel like their vote matters in the, nat the national election, but your vote definitely matters in your local and state elections. So this is just my emphasis to say, hey, Please really consider voting in your upcoming school board elections because they are going to be happening all across the nation. So why are school board members, like why does this vote really matter? A local news source here in Idaho, it's called the State Board, no, excuse me, I'm sorry. It's called Idaho Ed News. They put out a great resource recently on understanding the structure of how voters have a direct impact on students in terms of their vote and the way that Idaho is structured with their education department and, and boards. So I wanted to share that with you. I'm going to link it for the show notes, and I'm also going to be posting about this on social media. I use the, the Idaho Ed News. They created this great graphic but it really can only be seen on a computer screen. And I converted it into a social media post that I'm going to be sharing. So if you would picture in your mind a diagram where voters are at the top and voters, we're talking about Idaho specific, but it can be anyone, right? Voters are responsible for choosing education change makers and leaders at the state and local level. Voters choose when it comes to education four cat they vote for four categories of people. The first category they vote for is the like those are the local school boards. The second category they vote for is the state superintendent of public instruction. The third is the governor, and the fourth are the legislative members. That's the House of Representatives and the Senators. Those four groups are who voters can elect 
Why does this matter? So when you look at the four categories, one of them are the lawmakers, right? They're the House of Representatives and then they're the senators. In Idaho, there are 35 districts. There are two represent House of Reps from each district and one senator, and they all serve a two-year term. These legislators can override a governor's veto by a two-thirds vote of each chamber. And these lawmakers, these legislative, they're called lawmakers and legislators, they create law that is then interpreted by the State Board of Education and put into action by the State Department of Education. So this is something that's a little bit structurally different in Idaho. We have the State Board of Education and we have the State Department of Education. The lawmakers, basically the lawmakers make the law. And then that law goes to the State Board of Education. And the State Board of Education that's Idaho's single governing body for public kindergarten through college education. Now, this is something that's a little bit different about Idaho. It's my understanding that only about seven states throughout the United States where they have their state board of education governs kindergarten, governs kindergarten all, the way, all the way through college. I would say that's atypical for the United States. So this State Board of Education, which receives laws from the legislature, they then interpret those laws and create policy. That's essentially what they do. They are appointed by the governor, and they also have a staff that includes an executive director and about 67 employees. That's the State Board of Education. Then... We're going to come back up. The State Board of Education also receives instruction from the governor. Remember, the voters get four categories. They vote for four different um, groups that impact education. The governor is one of them because the governor appoints people to serve as trustees on the State Board of Education. And he also approves or vetoes legislation and budgets. So a lot of times I think this is something that people forget, that the governor appoints people to serve on the state board of education. The governor also gives, because they can approve or veto legislation and budgets, the governor is also giving instruction to the state board of education. And then we have the state superintendent of public instruction. This in the state of Idaho, this is Debbie Critchfield, and she's been serving since January of 2023. The state superintendent of public instruction in Idaho is a four-year term. The state superintendent also sits. She has a seat on the state board of education. She then also oversees the state department of education. Are you confused yet? I know. I don't, you don't have the diagram in front of you, and I apologize for this, but I feel like this information is so pertinent, and I want to put it out there. So there are three – basically, there are three governing bodies – that give direction to the state board of education. And those three, those three um, governing bodies or people are the state superintendent of public instruction, the governor, and the legislature. Those are the House of Representatives and the senators. All three of those people have the ability to create law and give information to the state board of education. The, superintendent, the state superintendent sits on the state board 
of Education. She is the only elected member that sits on that state board. Now, the state superintendent, she sits on the state board of education, but she also leads the state department of education. And the state department of education is an executive agency of the state board of education. The state department is receiving instruction from two different sources. They're receiving receiving their leadership from the state superintendent and they are receiving policies from the state board of education because the state board of education receives the law they interpret the law and they put that law into a policy the state department of education implements the policies they distribute funds they administer assessments, they give licenses to educators, and they provide accountability data back to the State Department of Education, which provides that data to the lawmakers. And they also provide that data to the superintendent of public instruction. So this is why in your education system in your state, when you're interacting with the Department of Education, the Department of Education is a part of this huge bureaucratic system, and they are in they are implementing the law. That's what they're doing. They are implementing, excuse me, they're implementing the policy that was interpreted from the law. so this is this is something that I don't know that I really fully understood until, well, when I was a school board member, right? So you've got the people who are making the laws, then you have the State Board of Education who inter who interprets that and they create the policy. And then the Department of Education implements that policy. And the State Department of Education has 108 employees around the state. And they're the ones that go around and provide training for all of our local districts in Idaho. So I have a friend who's on the State Department of Education. She's an employee there. And she travels around the state. She actually has quite a bit of traveling to share how to implement new laws and both federal and state into the local district. Okay, those are three the state superintendent, the governor, and the lawmaker. That's how those three entities interact with the State Board of Education and the State Department of Education. And then we go back to that fourth group, which are the local school boards. This is the why your vote matters, not just on a local level, right, but on that state component. Your local school board is made up of three to seven unpaid trustees or directors. They govern your district. They hire and evaluate the superintendent and they approve budgets and policies. Voters have the ability to, they have the power to recall trustees before the end of their term. And the trust, the board of trustees elects a chair. So when I served on the Lewiston school board, Lewiston actually was a school district before Idaho was a state. So there are three districts in Idaho that have some special rules that have been allowed to be a part of their 
uh, school district on their special charter because they were districts before the state was a state. And one of the components of the Lewiston School District was that we were actually not called trustees, we were called directors. So here in my local district at West Ada, they have trustees and they have a chair. In Lewiston, we had we had all directors and then there was the president of the directors. So that was a really great opportunity to be up there and learn a lot about the education system in Idaho and also how the governing bodies work around the state. This is one of the reasons I want to share this information because I find so often that people don't know. It can also be very confusing. This is why I've got this diagram. I really want you to go look at it. So your local school boards, as a voter, you elect someone to sit on that board. And these are people who, again, they govern your district, they hire and evaluate the superintendent, and they approve budgets and policies. And those three main components of their role have a direct impact on students. So your local school board members, they appoint a superintendent. And that superintendent is hired to oversee the district's daily operations. And depending on how your district is structured, you might have a superintendent that is the superintendent and also a principal. In some of these rural communities in Idaho, that superintendent plays a lot of different roles, wears a lot of different hats. And that can be really challenging. I know it's really challenging to wear a lot of different hats when you serve in those capacities. And so that is something that I really admire in a lot of our small rural communities where we have these individuals who are willing to be a superintendent and lead that district, and they also fill other capacities. So because districts are set up a little bit differently, depending on their size around your state, you have your superintendent, and then you have your district leaders and your directors. So your district leaders and directors are, they include directors of departments like human resources, curriculum, student services, special education, and business operations. Those are your district leaders and directors. You've got, and they all have personnel that serve at the district office. So you've got your superintendent, then you have the directors of various categories, and then you have district administrators, and those are your building principals, your vice principals, your athletic directors that oversee daily operations in the individual schools. And then it's those building principals, vice principals, a lot of times they'll have someone on from the district sit on a committee and they choose, and that's how they hire teachers. And teachers oversee the classroom and instruct students. And then you have the students who are the ultimate beneficiaries of this complex education system. It's all about them, what they learn, how to educate them, how best to prepare them for their careers or you know, college, career college, whatever pathway they choose, that experience. And also communities. We as communities, voters, we impact, we are benefited from student education. Studies show that when you invest dollars in education, we receive major returns on the other side. So again, this is just a really important component of the structure of, of from voter to student. 
So that one direct line particularly is voter. We Like you as the voter, you vote. Then you have, you're voting for your local school board members, those people who are going to govern the district. Then they appoint the superintendent. And then the superintendent oversees everything within the district, the district leaders, the building principals. Then you've got your teachers and your students. So that's why your vote matters. And because it has a direct link with students and there's school board elections have a very low turnout. Some people have lost by very few or won by very few votes. So your vote really does matter in that election. When community members become complacent and they don't notice who is going in those like those positions of power as school board members, you're in a position of power, it can have a very negative impact. So one of the things that I did, there was a news story in Idaho that I followed and I have this newspaper from the middle of September and it's an article from the Idaho Statesman about the appointment of an individual at a school district in the West Bonner County School District in Northern Idaho. And some school board members appointed an individual who was not qualified to be a superintendent he didn't have the appropriate education or the qualifications as required by the state to be in that position. But the school board members chose to totally disregard those requirements and appointed this individual anyways. And what, what I think is so fascinating about this particular incident is that he, he ran for the state superintendent of public instruction. And this individual, it's a matter of public record, he had a restraining order against him from his own wife in regards to his own children. And these, this is the man that some school board members in the West Bonner County School District appointed to be the superintendent. It became a mess. Voters kind of woke up to what was going on. They recalled the two board members who had appointed the superintendent. Then they had a very challenging time holding a meeting because they didn't have enough school board members. And just recently, I saw a news article that said that this superintendent decided to resign from his position. And I remember thinking, what a relief. So here's another story of why your vote matters. In my local school district, when COVID hit, so many of the community members did not like how the school board at that time was approaching the issue during COVID and getting kids back in school. And, but also the teachers union didn't appreciate how things were being handled either. <clears throat> and ultimately I had my own interactions with this school board and I wasn't I did not feel like they did a good job at all. So they did a bad job. This school board did a bad job at listening to patrons, to parents, to teachers, to the union in regards to what the community wanted for our schools, for our kids, and for their experience during COVID. And there was one parent, as I was working with this one parent advocacy group, this one parent said, we got ourselves into the situation. 
we didn't pay attention who had been elected for years. And after that, they did start paying attention. There was a recall here and it was very, it was a little bit of a turmoil for a while, but then it really woke voters up. And now we have in West Ada, a school board that functions at a very high level and works. I mean, these are some of my experiences and my observation. They work to really educate themselves, work to be transparent with the community and work to do what is best for the district and for kids. Ultimately, I've told you the why. Now I want to talk about the who. Who makes a good school board member? Because this is really important. School board elections have very low voter information for you to sift through because more often than not, they're not paid positions. And so there are people who are just willing to say like, yeah, I'll serve in that capacity. There are people who want to be influential in their community. There are some states that do give some kind of payment just recently I believe it was the state of Oregon that allowed, they just are now allowing districts to give a little bit of money. But I did see that the state of, in the state of California, the LA school district, which is a ginormous, it's a ginormous school district. They have seven boards members in this large geographic area. These board members work full time as school boards trustees, and they earn $125,000 and have a staff of five or more. And I also... I mean, I looked at that number and I thought, depending upon where you live, that's a lot of money or not very much money. So I thought that that was significant, that not all school board members go unpaid. But in the state of Idaho, they are unpaid. So who do you elect? And ultimately, it can be challenging to know because there's low voter informa low information on these individuals. What's really important to know is that there is a direct link between school boards that maintain professional development and student achievement. So school boards who are learning and developing themselves as school board members and as school board entities, those districts have higher student achievement than districts where boards are not getting that training. The reason it's so important is because people come into these positions and they're not easy positions to be in, particularly when there's no, when you don't have any background in governing and when you don't have any background in education. And even when you do have background in education, there's still so many different components to learn about how to have that balanced approach in governing a school a school district, because it's important to provide sufficient oversight to the district, but micromanaging is not important because that's what the superintendent, his role is to manage the district and the local school board members, they appoint that superintendent. So recently in Idaho, this was just this last legislature period, there were two individuals, the state superintendent of public instruction and a senator, uh, Senator Dave Lent from Idaho Falls attempted to put through legislation that would require and give money to local school boards for continued training. Now, the unfortunate component to this is that it's a challenging piece because school boards are unpaid. 
So these are people who are volunteering their time and they're willing to go out and provide a lot of free services to the district because they care about kids. That is a portion of who runs for a school board. Not everyone who runs for a school board is actually intentional about good educational outcomes for kids. Sometimes people are in it for themselves and they they enjoy the power, they have other plans for their political pursuits, and so they're using their local community as that. Or they've got a chip on their shoulder and they want to change one thing about their district. So in Idaho, this particular bill failed after a couple of days. It didn't get, it was um, the House voted no. It was a, it was a no vote. But what is important to note in Idaho, that even though as of right now, there is no required education, there is still state funds that are allocated for school board training that in the simplest terms, a school board can, school board members can use, and that way it doesn't cost the local districts money to educate their board, so long as the individual who is offering the education is an approved resource from the state. But there are many states that do require state uh, local school board members to receive training. And some of those include like Arkansas, Illinois, Louisiana, Mississippi, Nevada, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, even Utah, Virginia, and Washington. And they have a wide range. Like some states say you have to receive six hours of training within your first year. Other states say you're just required to receive some type of professional training while you're a school board member. So it just, it's varied and wide. Who makes a good school board member? That really is the question. And there was a cross-national study done on the consequences of certain types of individuals on the school board and student achievement. And what they found was that countries, because they they did this comparison, they included the United States, they included European countries. Countries that actually have school boards have higher student achievement. So I thought that was really great that, hey, the United States has school boards and it kind of shows the, the need to keep school boards. But it also showed that participants who were parents on school boards had a positive higher student achievement as compared to individuals who didn't, who were not parents or part of it was a little bit of this information that was interpreted. So people who have clear education initiatives and people who have a clear buy-in. So parents, grandparents, what was unfortunate here a couple of years ago in my school district, there was an individual who was appointed in my geographic area who did not have any community buy-in he was from he was from out of state he didn't have any kids who went to the district and he was retired and a large group of parents told the school board members at that time who by the way are no longer serving on the board they told him they told them please do not appoint this individual like don't appoint this individual because this individual doesn't have buy-in, he's going, he will eventually leave. Hey, it turns out that the parents were right, that this individual did end up leaving the state and the seat became open again. 
But this time the board demographic was different because there had been two elections and they appointed an individual in my zone who was a parent who had a lot of clear educational buy-in and has been an excellent school board member. And I'm really grateful for that. So the type of person that as I went through this list of who are great school board members, one that have that community buy-in, they are parents, they are grandparents, they are people who have a clear interest in education versus a political ideology and they have a particular agenda. So work to avoid people who have a particular political agenda and people who do not have that clear educational buy-in. Pick someone who is willing to be a learner because someone who is a learner is willing to learn how to have that balanced board governance that is going to bring about those best educational outcomes for our students. And they're going to be the ones who are willing to put in the time and that can be incorporated into regular like work sessions for the school board members, really put in time to have, to have that education that educational professional development that is really needed for governing appropriately and legally. There have been a lot of, there's been lots of information put out about how a lot of school board members get themselves into trouble during executive sessions because there's lots of different components that go into an executive session, but they don't know how to stay on track and the law requires them to stay on track. So some of this training is understanding what are their legal requirements and the components of serving in their, in that capacity. Look for someone who is able to back up their decisions and actions with facts and data. And I'm not talking about facts and data that come from a very biased source. So here in Idaho, we do have a group that is extremely biased against education. And it's unfortunate. And some of these people have run for school boards and they don't, their intentions are very, again, it goes back to that really political component. So you want someone on your board who is going to be transparent and accountable to the public. You want someone who is approachable. So transparent, accountable, and approachable because you're going to have questions for them. And a school board, one of their responsibilities is to liaison between the district and the community. The school board is there to understand what the community wants to try to incorporate that into the educational experience. You want somebody on your school board who is collaborative, someone who works with their community, the school staff, the stakeholders, and their fellow board members. I'm not talking about always requiring a, if you have a five board, five school board, like a 5-0 vote. What I'm just saying is like, it's okay to have differences. It's actually very healthy to have differences, but people who are willing to have those conversations instead of just shutting them down. Someone who is able to build positive relationships and you want someone who's able to interpret data and to be able to make a vision and set goals for the district because that is that is one of the responsibilities of a school board member is to set that vision and goals for the district. And someone who is able to monitor that progress using data, that's another, that's another um, responsibility of a school board member. 
My biggest, I've said this, I think like three times, beware of people who have a political oriented agenda because a political oriented governance approach to governing a school board is one of the most least effective ways in helping a school board be productive in what they're doing at the district level and what they're doing for student outcomes and achievement. And it's very, and it's also not productive in creating transparency and that accountability to the community. When you're picking your candidate, and just remember that again, there's low information for voters on school board members. There was a study done on name recognition and candidate support. They did, they had, this particular study had done a couple of laboratory experiments and they wanted to do one that was outside of, outside of the lab in a real life application. So they put up a, they put up four yard signs with a particular individual's name. It was Ben Griffin. They put his name up on four yard sites in one person's yard on a route to school. And they labeled this street, they labeled it J Street. So they put up four signs along J Street that led to this elementary school. About 85% of parents drove their kids to school. 50% took J Street, 50% took the other route. And after three days, of the yard signs being placed, the parent-teacher organization emailed the school's body of parents a link to a short internet survey. And parents earned $5 for completing the survey. And the sample of the survey, there were 82 car drivers and 46 of them, or, or approximately 56%, drove along J Street. J Street was the one with the four signs in front towards the house. And the survey was designed to test the effect of name recognition on candidate support. And at the time of the survey, there were five incumbents who had declared their intentions to run for re-election that were five at-large seats, meaning they were not zoned. They could come from anywhere within the community. And the response options for this survey were the five actual candidates and two fictitious candidates. And of the response, the group with the Ben Griffin name, 25% placed him in their top three. Basically, the result from the study when they like did the interpretation in the data was that name recognition increases candidate support in low information elections. So while you're driving to school and you're dropping your kids off or you're driving around town, just know that there's signs up everywhere. And signs really are one of the most effective ways in building name recognition for low, for low information elections. But while I drive around my neighborhood and in my community, there's a couple of signs up of individuals that I know for sure are, they have a political agenda and they're not someone that I want on my local school board because it's going to impact my kid's experience and it's going to impact the experience that my school board, that my superintendent has as he interacts with the school board. And I mean, I have had interactions with my particular school board, uh, 
my particular school board members, and also the superintendent. And it is so important for that relationship to be healthy, to be interactive, and to be one that is collaborative. They don't necessarily always have to agree, but in but willing to work through those conversations to be able to create good outcomes for our kids. That's what's really important. So I've given you a lot of information today and I've got two key takeaways as I conclude my conversation with you. One is your vote matters. Who you elect to be seated as a school board member directly impacts your student experience. It also directly impacts your experience. If you have something that comes up and you want to interact with your school board member, you can email them. They can meet with community members. They need to be going out and seeing the schools and how things are doing. So, but your vote matters. And that is something that I think is so important that as a local voter, your vote matters in terms of your students' experience. The second takeaway is that it takes effort to determine who is running for a school board election because of low information on individuals who are running. Don't just rely on those signs. Go out and ask people, ask your, ask your principal, ask your friends if they know who is running for school board And now, because we have so much information out there, you can look people up on the internet and find a lot of information about them. You really want to make sure that you try to determine the type of person who is running. It is school boards here in Idaho. These elections are nonpartisan. So you're not going to see an R or a D next to their name, which I actually think is really good because I don't think that education should be political. I think that that our kids need to be taken out of that component and do what's best for them in their educational experience. So when you're thinking about the, the who to elect, it's you want someone who has a community buy-in and a clear education vision. You want someone who's willing to put forward that balanced board governance. You want someone who is a learner And you want someone who is collaborative and transparent with the public, with the school employees, and with their board mates. That that transparency is a really important component as voters, for voters, for, for the community, because we really, really want to know. We need to know what's going on because these are our kids and we need to be able to give our input on their educational experience. Thanks so much for joining today. I look forward to hearing from you on this topic. And best of luck in choosing your local school board members. Have fun at the polls. And that's a wrap on today's episode of Our Kids, Our Schools. Your contributions are vital in this shared journey towards a thriving school community. So let's keep this conversation going on my Instagram page at the.alexis.morgan. Share your insights, suggestions, and experiences. Follow the podcast so you never miss empowering discussions and insightful resources. And always remember, keep learning, keep questioning, and together, let's make a difference.